You are listening to the Tilted Lawyer Podcast, a show that inspires the legally challenged to enter the courtroom armed with a plan. I am Omar Serrato, owner of the Eagle Law Firm, experienced litigator, and the man you want to talk to before your big case. My co-host is Ileana Colon Rosa, owner of Colon Rosa Law, and a rising star in Southern California. On December 30th, 2002, earlier this morning, it was announced that there has been an arrest made in the case of the Idaho college student murders that took place on November 13th of 2022. Now, as I was getting ready uh, to film, I was going to film uh, a retrospect, uh, a timeline of events on what had occurred on the um, morning, the early morning hours of November 13, 2022, uh, with respect to the four young people that were murdered at the hands of an assailant um, earlier this year. However, um, upon getting ready to publish this video, we learned that there has been an arrest made. A gentleman by the name of Brian Koberger, 28 years old, was arrested in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania, by way of SWAT team in the area that he was uh, staying. He was taken into custody earlier this morning. This is approximately six weeks after the incident took place. Um, although the arrest has not yet been confirmed in about an hour or so, there's going to be there is a scheduled press conference from the Moscow State Police Department where they are going to release further details, probably uh, regarding what happened leading up to his arrest, the tips that were used to generate his arrest. Um, I know um, from having followed the case and having looked at the uh, state-published website that the Moscow Police Department put out, that he has been, at least his vehicle, a white Hyundai Elantra 2013, had been the subject of significant interest uh, for weeks for weeks leading up to this today, which was ultimately his arrest. That car, we do, we can confirm, belongs to this gentleman, Brian Koberger. Um, and again, 28 years old, he's not known to any of the family members that we are aware, at least uh, the parents of the victims aren't aware of who this person is or, or how he may or may not be affiliated with any of the victims. All of that is going to come out in the coming days. But as of right now, there has been a six-week period where there has been absolutely no information regarding any suspect um, other than there was interest in this, this, uh, this vehicle that was the subject of a lot of uh, debate, interpretation, um, conspiracy theories, and whatnot. But he has, there, there, he has been arrested. Brian Koberger stood uh, before a state judge in Pennsylvania earlier this morning where he was ordered extradited back to Idaho to stand to answer for the crimes that occurred on November 13th, 2022. Presumably, I'm assuming that he's going to get charged. I don't know if it was the DNA evidence that led or some kind of forensic tip uh, that led to the arrest of this man. I just know having followed and monitored the police website and the information that was coming out, that they were significantly interested in this white Hyundai 2013 uh, that was filmed um, on a number of different cameras, body cam footage, surveillance cameras um, around the scene of the incident on the date that the incident occurred around the time that it occurred. They have arrested the owner of that vehicle. And um, well, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, it's probably going to be many months before we're actually in a trial at this. If it goes to trial at all, we don't know if he's going to plea. Uh, but at the very least, we now have a name to attach to the, the, the suspect list in this case. His name is Brian Koberger. And let's get into um, 
Let's get into uh, the timeline of events. In the early morning hours of November 13th, 2022, in Moscow, northern Idaho, which has been um, for since the late 1800s, considered a very safe college town. It hosts uh, the University of Idaho, where uh, it has a, a student body of approximately 10,000 students. Moscow is rep made up of roughly 25,000 people in its population. It's a small town um, bordering the state of Washington on the Pacific Northwest. And it was on November 13th, um, around the hours of uh, 2 a.m. to 4 a.m., that four young people, namely Zana Kernodal, Ethan Chapin, Kaylee Gonclaves, and Madison Mogan, were brutally murdered as they slept in their beds. And a disturbingly little amount of information has come out detailing what actually happened on the night or the morning thereof. Zana Kernodal was 20 years old. She uh, lived in Post Falls, Idaho. She was a talented gymnast, volleyball player, track star, soccer player. She had majored in marketing. She was looking forward to uh, getting her degree um, within the next year or so at the University of Idaho. Um, she was a member of uh, a sorority with Madison, one of the other victims in this case, um, with whom she had also worked together at a part-time local restaurant. Her boyfriend was Ethan Chapin. Mr. Chapin was 21 years old. He was a runner uh, for the majority of his life, uh, going into elementary school, junior high school, high school. Um, he was majoring in recreation, sports, and tourism management. And he was in a relationship with Zena. And he happened to uh, be in the house the night that somebody snuck in the house and murdered those four students. Now, he didn't live there. Presumably, he was just there to visit Zena. And he happened to be there whenever everything went down. Kaylee Gonclaves was a 21-year-old uh, resident of Rathdrum, Idaho. She was born in Concord, California. Her family moved to Idaho when she was very young. Um, she met Madison, who was her lifelong friend, best friend, um, college roommate, in middle school. She was studying at the University of Idaho to become an elementary school teacher. Madison Mogan was 21 years old. She was from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, born in May of 2001 in the city of Eugene, Oregon. She had made the Dean's List every semester while enrolled at the University of Idaho. And she was dating a gentleman named Jake at the time that the incidents took place. And she was working on uh, graduating with her bachelor's degree in marketing along with Zena. Uh, and again, she was uh, one of the four victims uh, whose life was taken on that fateful morning, November 13th, 2022. The house in question uh, was located at 1122 King Road in Moscow, Idaho. Um, all four were murdered in the early hours, the early morning hours of November 13th, 2022. Interesting fact about the house is that it was located on a hill in a heavily wooded area, which would have made it very easy for somebody looking for cover to disappear into the trees as it was a, 
and, and we'll see pictures of this going on. If you, if you look at the house, it was situated on a hill. There was two entrances to the house. On the first entrance, the first entrance was lo- located on the first floor. And uh, you would go into the first entrance and you would be there on the first floor. But the second entrance, where everybody seems to think that the, uh, the assailants would have entered, is on the back end of that wooded area. So it would have been very easy for somebody to go come down from the wooded area, enter into the sliding glass door, which would have put him on the second story of the house, immediately leading into uh, two bedrooms uh, where Madison and Kaylee would have been sleeping um, from the kitchen. And then from there on, there is a staircase that goes directly into the third and fourth bedrooms on the third floor. Interestingly, the two occupants of the first floor um, were not uh, murdered. They are not victims in this case. They were the survivors. Um, But a lot of speculation has gone on with respect to them as they reported not hearing anything that had happened. I mean, either they were in a deep sleep. Uh, they may have been sleeping at the time. Maybe they were just knocked out. Um, there's also been some indication that some former occupants that used to stay in that house, as it is a college town, and, you know, uh, lots of people have stayed there over the years, um, that oftentimes if you were staying on the first floor, you couldn't hear anything that was going on on the second or third floors unless the roommates were playing music or the television particularly loud. Um, how that translates to a full-blown um violent murder of four young people that were struggling and fighting with the assailant as has been reported uh, unofficially by some of the parents of the victims. I'm not sure, but the story is the two survivors on the first floor, um, didn't hear anything that was going on and they were, they, they, they survived. So it's speculated that the person that entered the house did so through the kitchen sliding glass door that was just, um, on the heels of this wooded area, this wooded area that was right up against the house where they could have presumably escaped out of the sliding glass door back into the wooded area and nobody would have been any of the wiser. Um, and certainly there hasn't, there hasn't been any indication that surveillance footage um, exists that would have caught anybody going in and out of the house at that time. At any rate, this was the living situation. Maddie, Kaylee, and Zanna. All lived together, um, along with two other students, and th- those were the ones that were on the first floor, Dylan and Bethany. There was some indication that there was a sixth student that lived with them uh, there at the house because his name appeared on the lease, but evidently that person vacated the property uh, many months prior, and so he was not there during the incident. Now, on the night of the incident, Zena, Kaylee, Madison, Dylan, and Bethany, along with the boyfriend of Zena, Ethan, the living arrangement of the six were as follows. Maddie and Kaylee, the best friends since junior high school, resided on the third story of the three-story house in separate bedrooms. They were small bedrooms. It was a college dorm room type setup where you had two bedrooms on the first floor, two bedrooms on the second, two bedrooms on the third. Maddie and Kaylee stayed on the third floor. Zena and Ethan stayed on the second floor. And again, Ethan wasn't an official occupant of, um, uh, of the property, but he was there with Zena on the night of the incident when everything occurred. There was two bedrooms and a living room area there on the second floor. Bethany and Dylan were occupying the, the, the bedrooms on the first floor. Uh, and again, Bethany, Bethany and Dylan, they were in the house 
at the times that the that the murders took place, and they didn't hear anything. They also had a dog, um, and there hasn't been a whole lot of in, uh, information that came out with respect to the dog. There's been some question about whether or not the dog may have alerted or or um, you know barked or anything at the at the sign of an intruder, uh, but nothing to that. Nothing of note has, has come up. So here's what we know. On November 12th, 2022, there were photographs taken the same day with all six occupants in the house. And here's one of those pictures. Um, and it was the last time that all six of these folks were photographed together, um, obviously, because later that night, we all know what happened. At 10 p.m., Kaylee and Maddie uh, decided to go to a sports bar in town called The Corner Club, which they... Uh, stayed there for for a good amount of time. Uh, Bethany and Dylan, although they weren't out together, they had gone out separately to do their own thing. They returned to the house around 1 a.m. And again, uh, they weren't together or anything. They they came, uh, they had separate plans. They returned to the house both individually around the same time at 1 a.m. About a half hour later at 1.30 in the morning, Kaylee and Maddie, they leave the corner club and were seen on a Twitch live stream by a grub truck parked a couple of minutes away. There was a lot of speculation in the surveillance footage that was shown from that Grubhub truck, as there's about 10 minutes of footage where you could see uh, Kaylee and Maddie were there kind of talking and, you know, hanging out, socializing. They were ordering food. They were laughing. They were having a good time. But there was a creepy gentleman in a black hoodie that was just kind of standing, um, keeping to himself. And uh, there was a lot of questions about his odd behavior. Um, but before we talk about that, getting back to the timeline. Around 1.45 a.m., Ethan and Zayna returned home. They were at a party. They got home around 1.45 a.m. that night or that morning. At 1.55 a.m., around 10 minutes later, Kaylee and Maddie arrived back to the house after having visited the grub truck uh, where they had called an Uber to get them back to the house and they arrived back at 1.55 a.m. And after that, everybody's just kind of hanging out and doing what they do in the early morning hours um, around two in the morning. And uh, there, was no, there was no indication that uh, anything else was going to happen. It was a, a fairly routine, ordinary day with you know nothing of, 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 of significance believed around uh, between 2 and 4 a.m., Kaylee and Madison were hanging out together, maybe in the same room, maybe in the same bed, uh, but there's some indication that they were together because their phone records show that they were uh, calling the same person, interestingly. Um, at 2.26 a.m., between 2.26 and 2.44 a.m., Kaylee had an ex-boyfriend uh, named Jack, and she called him about six times, between those two times. Um... She didn't get a hold of him any one of those six times. And so Maddie, between 2.44 to 2.52, uh, decided to call Jack herself from her phone. I guess thinking that, uh, well, he's not answering your phone. Maybe he'll answer mine or vice versa or who knows. But there were about nine phone calls placed to this guy named Jack, who was a, a initially a person of interest but had been cleared of, of being a suspect in this case. At 2.52 a.m., Kaylee calls Jack one last time, and then that was it. That's the last phone activity uh, from Kaylee or Madison. Um, and now we're around 3 a.m., and that's when, well, that's when allegedly everything took place. At some time between 3 a.m. 
and 5 a.m., a figure approaches the house. And again, this is all speculated theory. This is not the official record of any evidence that's been released. But the prevailing thoughts of Internet sleuths out there everywhere, um, the stories coming out in the media and intense speculation in this case, believe that this is essentially what happened. Sometime between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m., a figure approaches the house, slides open the back door, goes into the house armed with an extremely deadly, large, Rambo-style serrated knife and savagely murders Maddie, Kaylee, Ethan, and Zena. Indications from the coroner said that they must have been asleep when everything started. Some of the victims had defensive wounds. Namely, um, it's believed that Maddie, from some of the statements that her father gave, is the one with the defensive wounds. And her father, although, and again, none of this has been officially released, but her father said that she had torn skin uh, from the knife, indication of bruising, as if she had fought back as she woke up while she was being murdered um, and, and tried to defend herself. Um, and it was easy to believe that some of the others must have just been outright murdered as they slept. Who knows? We don't know anything about the extent or the, the nature of the injuries other than they were stabbed to death. That's all we know. It is important to note that um, there was no any there was not any indication that any of the female victims or any of the victims whatsoever were sexually assaulted. This was purely a crime of violence, a brutal murder of the four young people while they were sleeping in their bed. After the murders occur, and again, the two roommates being on the first floor, extremely lucky to be alive, and you'll see why uh, as we go through some of the 3D footage that exists with respect to the inside of the house. Around midday, Bethany and Dylan find Zana and Ethan on the second floor, brutally murdered. And there is a, a photograph going around on the internet where there is literally blood seeping out of the walls of the house you could see it trickling down on the outside of the house uh, uh, as if it were a horror movie, as if it was some prop, as if somebody had planted that evidence there to make it look more horrific. No, it was literal blood that was seeping out of uh, one of the rooms uh, from inside of the house, seeping outside of the house, dripping down, um, indicating that whatever happened in that room, there was a significant amount of blood. And having worked on some of these cases um, in the past, I mean, I've heard stories where there was blood from the floors to the ceilings, seeping into the sheets, seeping into the drainage materials, seeping into the walls, um, pulling on the, the, it must have been horrific. I mean, blood is a messy, messy uh, substance. And when it gets all over, it gets all over. And um, the fact that there was blood seeping out of the side of the house, out of the side of the house, that it, the, the, it wasn't even contained everything inside uh, should give some indication about the savagery uh, of the savage nature of what happened to these young folks as they were being murdered. So after Zena and Ethan were found on the second floor, they find Maddie and Kaylee on the third floor. Uh, the police were called. One of the two, it's unclear who, but one of the two of uh, Bethany and Dylan had fainted upon finding uh, what they found. Um, and again, it's not exactly clear who, um, now let's get into the, the, this Twitch video. And I think this is even more significant now. Well, it's less significant now that we have a suspect in the case, but there was uh, a lot of speculation about the man in the hoodie 
on the Twitch video that was streamed from the Grubhub cart of November 12th, just before the morning before the incident. There was this gentleman, the video is about 10 minutes long. He was standing around in a hoodie, just kind of standing, keeping to himself, wasn't really talking to anybody. Um, he seemed to be following Kaylee and Madison around or staring at them intently. It didn't appear to me anyway on the video that the girls had any idea who he was. He just seemed to have an interest in the two. And obviously that caused a lot of people to speculate about whether or not he was the person that may have followed them home and committed these murders. I can state with 100% confidence uh, that he was not the person that was arrested this morning. Uh, so whether or not uh, he was ever a suspect, I don't know. Um, other, well, I do know that the police officially cleared him um, of any wrongdoing, but he was not the man arrested this morning. So again, he, he's just kind of standing there. He's dressed. He's covering himself up. He looks like he's staring at Kaylee and Maddie. Um, he walks up. He stands beside them, and, 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 and Kaylee and Maddie are not giving them any attention whatsoever, uh, offering any indication that they have any clue who this guy is. Um, later on in the video... He's talking with a guy with a beard. Um, guy with the beard is talking to the guy in the hoodie. Um, and the, the, the bearded guy in the video actually spoke to the police and said, hey, he seemed like a nice guy. Um, and then he made some reference that maybe he just wanted to make sure that the, girls had got, that, that the girls got home safe, which the big question being, what the hell does he care about whether or not the girls get home safe if he doesn't know who he is? It didn't look like the, they knew who he was. So just creepy vibes all around. And then... Um, at some point later in the video, uh, the guy in the beard points out that, oh, hey, the girls just took off and left. Uh, one of the girls had called an Uber home, and then the guy with the beard pointed out to the bearded, to the hooded man that the girls were leaving. And uh, the guy in the beard reports that the guy in the hoodie said, what the fuck? And then he took off quickly in the direction of the girls where they had just gotten into an Uber that they had called to take them back home. Um, and then obviously the speculation, did he follow the Uber driver in his car? Uh, did he try to run after the girls? Did he try to make contact? Nobody knows because he, he goes off the camera at that point. Um, but again, very important to point out that uh, the guy in the hoodie before today was not considered a suspect. And he was not the, the gentleman who was arrested earlier this morning in Pennsylvania. So whatever theories are floating out, I mean, obviously, until there's actual there's actually a conviction and we actually get a chance to pour through some of the evidence that the police had available to them, he's going to be the subject of some speculation because we have no indication yet about who this guy, we have no indication who Brian Koberger is. We just know he was arrested. We know he's arrested with a SWAT team. We know that uh, there, there must have been a warrant because they kicked in the doors and uh, dragged him out of his house. They uh, took him in front of a judge this morning and they extradited his ass back to Idaho. And so again, it looks it looks like they've had their eye on him for a while. And the reason I say that is because the police bulletins that have been posted on uh, the website have indicated that they have been interested in the vehicle that he owns for many weeks. I mean, it's been six weeks, but for about the last three or four weeks, they've been interested in the owner of that vehicle, um, indicating that they had some evidence that this person may have been involved. And so it looks like they have the guy that they're looking for. I haven't, the, the, the press conference has not published yet or hasn't even happened yet, um, but I'm interested to know what it was about this gentleman that uh, they decided to send the, the, the SWAT team after. And again, it wasn't just the Moscow State Police um, in Idaho uh, looking for uh, the person who was responsible for these crimes. 
Uh, the FBI was involved in this case. Um, there were several state departments that were involved in the case. Um, this was a huge nationwide manhunt and was not confined to Idaho. And a lot of the, there was a lot of frustration because no information was getting out as to what was going on in the case. And a lot of the reason why, you know, people speculate, but I mean, a lot of the reason why is you're not, you don't want to release all of this information because you're looking for somebody. And the person that you're looking for is probably monitoring the information that's getting out and they're monitoring it specifically, specifically because they want to know they're trying to get any information to indicate whether or not they're in the clear or not. So it's not uncommon, you know, it's, it's no secret that the, that the cops are not going to release all of the information they have available to them because it may jeopardize their investigation. So the fact, I know a lot of people were speculating that, oh, we just have no idea this guy's going to get around, uh, this guy's going to get away with it. I think, and I suspected that the reason why is because they were hot on somebody's trail. When there's that much information that is unknown in a case, it's because they have a pretty good direction of where to look. Of course, they have hotlines set up and things like that. Uh, But when the cops have nothing, you know, um, you usually hear a little more information uh, than what what, uh, came out, than, than, than what was released over the last six weeks. So at any rate, Let's talk a little bit about what was released during the, uh, regarding the investigation. Again, there was the famous photograph by now. Um, a lot of people have seen of this very disturbing photograph with blood seeping out of the walls of the house from where the students were murdered. That and a law, uh, along with all of the other pictures that are floating out around on the internet, there was a ton of blood. Every indication is that the, the place, the second and third floors, was soaked with blood. And uh, there was even some indications that they weren't, th- th- there weren't really any stab wounds per se. Like the, the flesh was torn to smithereens by this large Rambo style knife. I mean, I could only imagine. I mean, you, you know, only some of the victims had defensive wounds. And so, I, you know, it, it, it begs the question, how much did the victims really suffer? Were, were there any instantaneous deaths? Um, maybe from a severed spinal cord. I mean, we don't know. Those details are going to be coming out in the, in the, in the coming months. Uh, but very little has been released other than the little bits that have, that have gotten out with respect to some of the parents of the victims speaking to the media about such things. <clears throat> there has been mixed messages as to whether or not the community was in danger. There was some indication that the police had come out and said, you know what? You guys are not in any danger. There's nothing to be worried about. We believe this was an isolated incident. And they would, they would walk that back at times saying that actually, you know, everybody just be careful out there. Watch who you're, don't go out um, past certain hours. Be careful, walk in groups, uh, be safe out there. And, and so, and that was very early on in the investigation. Um, I don't know if they had any indication that the person that they looking that they were looking for was a serial killer um, or if this was an isolated incident. What we do know, what was very disturbing about the case, um, there almost as an aside, back in October of this year, about a month or so prior to uh, the murders of these four students, there was a dog, an Australian shepherd, who was found skinned from head to toe in Moscow, Idaho. And nobody had any clue or indication of, of who did it. And that's pretty much par for the course behavior for the serial killer types, uh, people that would do such things. Um, there was also uh, questions about whether or not this case could have been linked to a similar case back in 1999, 
where there were two college students that were stabbed in Pullman, Washington, which is the neighboring state. And, you know, uh, Moscow, Idaho was right on the border there between Idaho and Washington. Um, And these two college students back in 1999 were stabbed as they slept. There was another case uh, that the, the, the cops were questioning whether or not this was a linked event back in Salem, Oregon. There was another couple that was attacked as they slept with a knife um, where one of the two victims was killed in that case. And that was about a year ago. And so this case, those were the three events that they were really focusing in on and see if there's any similarities, possible tie-ins to having the, 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 the person that the same person that committed those acts, maybe they were involved in this one. Um, based on what we know, the gentleman, I keep on calling him a gentleman. I, I, I don't want to just call him the killer yet because there hasn't been, there's literally been no evidence released as to what they have on this guy. And so I, I hesitate uh, to speak derogatorily about him um, because I do believe in innocence till proven guilty. Uh, but the person that was arrested this morning at, is, is only 28 years old, which would put his date of birth at 1994. Um, so I don't think he had anything to do with a murder in 1999 as he would have only been five years old at the time. I guess fair play to whatever happened in Salem, Oregon in 2021. I mean, it would have been around the same area in the Pacific Northwest. And so make what you will of that. Some of the details that were released have been a little bit confusing, namely the details about how the bodies were found. There was some indication um, to believe that they were found dead in their beds. There were some where they were believed to have been uh, dead on the floor, um, there was just a lot of conflicting stories on that, and uh, that was coming straight from the police. And so it's interesting. I don't know um, if they uh, just got, you know, I don't know what happened there. Just a lot of the details that have come out have been confusing. And a lot of what the public knows generally about this case is just what has been released by some of the family members, namely the fathers of uh, uh, Madison and Kaylee. Uh, they've spoken out about some of the things that they were privy to, having spoken to the coroner, having read those reports, and knowing a little bit more about what happened. And from, from them, we know that there were defensive wounds, so this wasn't just a clean kill. I mean, there, there was some horror involved where um, some of the victims woke up as they were being actively murdered and trying to defend themselves, and, you know, they, they never had a fair shake. Again, prior to today, there were no, su- there were no suspects, there were no motives, there were no leads, the police have said nothing, and we don't know if that's because they literally had nothing. Well, we do know they, they must have had something, uh, but they didn't release what they had. So until today, there was no there was no uh, information as to possible motive. There was no leads. We had no idea who'd done this. And, um, and interestingly, there was no sign of forced entry in the house. Now, the bedrooms each were said to have their own separate combination lock. They were the lock that you would put on the door and you would enter in a, a pin that would unlock the door and all of the doors had that. Whether or not the doors were locked, I doubt it. Um, most people that live together generally don't have to lock their doors out of fear of people barging in, especially um, after midnight. Um, I don't know how common a practice it would have been for them to uh, keep their doors locked, but presumably... Even though each individual bedroom had a lock, um, I believe it's unlikely that the doors were locked. There was a sliding glass door and there was an entry point on the first floor um, that was not a sliding glass door. It was just a regular front door that you would walk into anybody's house. Um, But no signs of forced entry, so the door must have been open. So if that's not 
a sign for you to lock your doors at night, no matter where you live. I don't know what is. Uh, this guy had no problem getting into the house. And you know what? If the sliding glass door was, was, was locked, maybe this guy goes to the next house because there is no indication that he knew any of these victims. Was it a crime of opportunity? He just wanted to murder some folks. That's kind of the serial killer MO. Uh, they have different reasons for why they do what they do. And for this gentleman to have, you know, just murdered these four people, if it was indeed at random, if the doors were locked, he's moving on to house number two and then house number three until the lucky winner with the unlocked door. Well, the unlucky winner is going to be the one that has to deal with this guy coming into their house with a Rambo knife. Up until today, and again, I don't know if it's still the case, but up to this point, there hasn't been any indication that any DNA evidence was collected, although I find that highly unlikely given the amount of blood that is said to have occurred, uh, occurred at the scene. The fact that the guy used a large Rambo knife and the fact that there were defensive wounds on the victim. There has to have been some kind of a scuffle. Um, usually when there's a scuffle like that, it's harder than you think to stab somebody through the flesh, through bone, um, without cutting yourself on either jagged edges of bone, possibly the knife, um, you're going, you're, you're doing a violent act. So it's very easy in that scenario to leave DNA evidence. I have to suspect um, that there must have been some kind of DNA uh, evidence that linked the suspect to this crime. It couldn't have just been they found his car um, at the scene on various pieces of footage, and that's how this guy is being arrested by SWAT team. The fact that there was a SWAT team indicates to me that there must have been a piece of DNA evidence that links specifically to him with 99.9% certainty to the fact that they get a warrant that a judge will sign that allows a SWAT team to go and remove this person from the, where he was staying. The prevailing theories of the case, so there's some indication that suggests that maybe this was a targeted attack, that it wasn't random. I don't find that to be the case. Because if you're walking into the second floor, or as you walk into the sliding glass door, you're in the kitchen. And then there's those two bedrooms. There's a living room area. Zana and her boyfriend were there on the second floor. They were murdered. And then he goes and climbs up into the third floor. That he, after murdering the folks on the second floor, goes on the third, on to the third floor and murders Kaylee and Madison. Completely neglects to go into the first floor. My thought is after he murdered the folks on the third floor... He goes downstairs and is probably a little disoriented. It's probably dark. Um, he just decides to take the opportunity to escape into that wooded area outside of the sliding glass door and just left it at that. I don't think he targeted anybody. I think if he ran into persons on the first floor, he would have murdered them too. I just think it takes a long time to murder four people. Or maybe it didn't. I don't know. But it just doesn't seem like something that was targeted to me. But it's possible. I don't know, but that's one of the theories. Um, Kaylee's father has suggested that either Maddie or Kaylee was the target because their victim, their injuries were a lot worse than the other victims. Um, it could be that, or it could be that they were the ones that decided to fight back and they were the ones that had the defensive wounds. And so there was a little more anger associated with them. I don't know. It's a, it's speculation. Interestingly, uh, there was a neighbor who said, that he was walking his dog that day around 8 a.m. And the front door of the house was wide open. So there is that. This could just throw a, 
could throw a wrench into uh, the whole sliding glass door theory. And again, that's not confirmed. It's just uh, there was a neighbor who said he talked to the police and told them that he was walking around at 8 a.m. and he saw that there was a front door of the house. It was wide open. And there is a, you know, some of the theories out there. Uh, the killer was aiming for one person, went into the wrong room. I guess that kind of goes along with the targeted event theory. Kaylee did have, she did mention that she had a stalker um, in the weeks leading up to the incident. Uh, she had an incident while she was leaving work and there was a guy that tried to follow her, uh, but the police arrested that guy and there was nothing, you know, there was nothing that really came of it. Now, I don't know if the person that was arrested is the same guy that was uh, arrested this morning, Brian, um, Brian Koberger. But there was an incident that uh, Kaylee had mentioned where she believed that she had a stalker and there was actually an arrest made because of it. Now, the guy didn't get any significant, he didn't get any significant jail time or because of it or anything. I'm not really sure um, all of the pertinent details, but just something to uh, file away mentally. Now, here are the questions. Um, how, how did the other two occupants in the house not hear anything that was going on? I mean... It was the middle of the night. They could have been sound asleep. They got home around 1 a.m. themselves. Uh, maybe they're deep sleepers. Um, but there was one former resident of the apartments that had made reference to the fact that, you know, when he used to live there and he stayed on the first floor, he couldn't hear anything going on on the second or third floor. You know, maybe they're just the houses are really well built. Maybe they're, um, you know, who knows? They're the police have cleared the surviving members of the house of any wrongdoing. Now, so this is the gentleman that was arrested earlier this morning. Brian Koberger. Uh, not a whole lot has been released yet. As of the filming of this video, his arrest has been announced, but the press conference has not happened yet. And so there's going to be a ton of new information presumably coming out um, in the days following uh, the posting of this video. Uh, and we are going to be talking about this at our regularly scheduled weekly show um, of the Tilted Lawyer podcast. But this is the gentleman that was arrested, Brian Koberger, 28 years old. He was arrested in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania, by way of SWAT team. They kicked open his doors, ripped him out of whatever slumber he might have been in, and arrested his ass, stuck him in front of a judge in Pennsylvania, and extradited him back to Idaho. Um, again, none of those details are confirmed. That's just how I'm imagining it, it, it must have went down. He's not known to anybody in the family. It's not known if uh, any of the victims knew who he was. It's not altogether clear what his ties are to Idaho, if he was a resident there, or if he had fled to Pennsylvania. Nobody knows, but those details are forthcoming. So that is, that's it. That's what we know so far about the Idaho student murders. Um, it is a case that we are going to be following very closely in the coming months. I suspect there is not going to be a trial in this case. I suspect that if uh, they have what they have against him enough to get a SWAT team in there to arrest him in the manner that they did, that they must have an ironclad case against this guy. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been arrested like that. Um, and that leads me to believe that we're probably looking at a plea deal, but you never know if there is a trial, we're going to cover it. If there's a plea deal, we're going to cover that too. And we're, we're not done talking about this case. I mean, it's, it's going to fascinate people, I think for years to come. Uh, but for right now, the most recent information that we have is that, is that the arrest has been made and there will certainly be more to come. 
in the coming months. Um, and with that, thank you so much for watching and listening. And I wish you all a very happy new year. Please, please stay safe out there. Uh, don't drink and drive. And for, and for goodness sake, please lock your doors. And uh, we will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening to the entire podcast. We really do appreciate that. And as always, you can find us on YouTube on the Tilted Lawyer Podcast YouTube channel or on your podcast carrier of choice. If you feel we've presented anything of value, please leave a five-star rating, like, and subscribe. We always appreciate that kind of thing. And we do look forward to seeing you all again live every Thursday at 3 in the afternoon. We love you all. Take care. Bye-bye.